And I was shown that um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? I forgot my bullets. I never had a gun. Here I am left standing. Am I the only one? For what I see, memories have guilted me. I'll never see the sun. Uh, first of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from the Jupiter to the Earth. This is too much sometimes. From the broken ruins of Babylon, this is End of Days Radio. Hello out there. My name is Daniel. I will be your host and guide this afternoon or this evening or this morning or this night for for all of you people all around the world, all of you lovely folk who turn into this show on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis. Thank you so very much. Today's guest is none other than legendary UFO alien researcher Stanton Friedman. Yes, that's right. You heard it right. The guest today is indeed Stanton Friedman, so long as we can get him on the phone. The date is 7-23-2017. That's July 23rd. Wow. For those of you who aren't familiar with Stanton, he's a former he's a former nuclear physicist and professional ufologist who resides in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. He is the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident and has written many fascinating books about the topic as well as his expanded and very in-depth UFO alien studies. Should be a pretty good time. And remember to stay tuned for the wrap-up period after the guest leaves. We have quite a bit to get to and quite a bit to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and see if I can't call the guest. 
Good evening. Hello, Stanton. Yes. Welcome to the end of days. Is it that late already? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today? A little frustrating things with my computer, but uh, otherwise everything is fine. Well, that, I'm sorry to hear that. I am very excited to have you here on the program. And I did just want to start off by just asking you, has, has there been any recent findings, discoveries, any drama, any latest happenings in the world of Stanton Friedman? Well, let's see. I was at the Roswell uh, UFO Festival, the annual one, the 25th one, as a matter of fact, and uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the attendance was up 70% over last year. Over 7,000 people there, and Roswell's in the middle of nowhere. So I was very pleased. My books uh, all sold out. Uh, all kinds of people wanted to talk. It was great. So anybody thinks nobody cares about UFOs in general or Roswell in particular is wrong. <laughs> uh, no, there's, I, I don't know. Things have gone up. There, there has been one overall development that has changed things. I mean, I've been... I gave my first lecture in 1967, so I've been at this a long time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, one thing that's, that's definitely changed in that period of time is the notion that uh, there are other beings, uh, there, there might be a few somewhere, was the attitude not too many years ago. Frank Drake of the SETI Institute uh, said there might be as many as 8,000 places in the whole galaxy that could be sending signals. And uh, today, uh, a good estimate would be at least 8 billion places. So, in other words, there are planets all over the place, thanks to the uh, the Kepler satellite. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of incredible. Within 100 light years of here, there are approximately... 10,000 stars. Which, and according to the latest estimates, there's between 1 and 1.6 planets per star. So that means it's just in a local neighborhood. I mean, the galaxy's a thousand, thousands of light years across. <laughs> you know, so just within 100 light years, it's between 10,000 and 16,000 planets. Wow! And I get some debunkers trying to claim that, well, if somebody was coming here, they'd have to come from hundreds of light years away or thousands of light years, and that's baloney. There are loads. I'm not saying all planets have uh, life. <clears throat> Maybe it's only 20%. You know? <laughs> that's still a huge number. <clears throat> so uh, there's an attitude change that's taken place. And the SETI people are sort of uh, stepping back a little bit. You know, the notion that uh, we're going to hear because aliens are going to send us signals for some godforsaken reason. You know, who knows? Why would aliens send us the signals if they don't know we're here? And how would they know uh, we're here? We didn't send out long-distance radio signals until 1900, the year 1900. And uh, so to suggest that uh, they would pick us out Rather than coming here, you see, uh, you know, uh, that makes no sense. Yeah, I have uh, read I, I have read that you have had certain 
uh, certain things about the SETI program that you you don't exactly agree with. Are you are you for the program overall? Do you feel that it needs to be improved, or should it just be shut down entirely? Well, it, it depends what one what one thinks is the intention of the program. Yes, I'd like to call it silly effort to investigate S E T I, because what we need is exploration based on the example that we have reports from all over our own planet of alien beings, alien vehicles, of somebody coming here. So if others are coming here and you want to find out about those others, you look for them. You look at the data we have. You don't say, well, maybe they'll send us a signal and and we'll latch onto it. Uh, How do they know what kind of signals we can pick up? And what, what would be the point of it? In other words, uh, SETI has been oversold as a scientific effort when, in fact, it's very hard to find the science. Oh, yes, there's radio signals all over the place. But does that mean they're coming from intelligence? No. Uh, On the other hand, we've got physical trace cases. We've got multiple witness radar visual sightings. We've got all kinds of uh, classified documents that don't get released. You know, people forget, you know, conspiracy theorists. Well, trying to get the uh, National Security Agency, NSA, they're big guys in the intelligence business. Uh, Years ago, we tried to get some of their documents under Freedom of Information we filed. And uh, at first we could get none. And then when we went to court, well, they released some. And then when we really pushed harder, well, here's 156 top-secret Umbra NSA UFO documents. Well, you can't read anything more than one sentence per page. It's still classified. Uh, and people say governments can't keep secrets. Well, of course they can keep secrets. I know. I helped keep them. I had a clearance for 14 years. So if the question is, how do we find out if there are other beings in the neighborhood, let's say, I don't care about other galaxies. It's too far. Let's look close by. Well, you have several choices. We can wait and sit and listen for signals and pray a little bit. Maybe somebody will send us a signal we can pick up and interpret. Maybe not. We don't know why they would do that, of course. Or we can look at this tremendous amount of data from all over the world. I mean, I've spoken in 19 countries. There's enormous interest everywhere. So the notion that uh, we should hopefully listen for signals uh, as opposed to look at the evidence that, you know, we got physical trace cases. Ted Phillips has collected more than 4,000 from 80 countries. People see craft on or near the ground, and after they leave, we'd find physical changes that include burn circles, burn rings, landing gear marks, footprints. Uh, You know, people seeing beings associated with the craft on the ground. Our whole system of law is dependent on finding out what good way to get uh, observations, you know, criminal witnesses, uh, witnesses to criminal act, et cetera, et cetera. And we have uh, a, a lot of court trials. We've honed our skills, and we have a lot of data. And the SETI people refuse to look at it. Look at their books. Where are their references to good, solid UFO materials, of which there is quite a bit? Uh, I, I mean, my name is on six books, but that's not the only good scientific material on UFOs. Uh, 
one, you know, nobody ever accused the Air Force of being uh, pro-UFO. Uh, on the other hand, the biggest study ever done was Project Blue Book Special Report number 14. Uh, this is way back in the mid-50s. They looked at 3,201 sightings. This was done for the Air Force by scientists at Battelle Memorial Institute in Columbus, Ohio. And they did quality evaluations of all the sightings. There's hundreds of charts, tables, graphs, maps. I was in data heaven when I found it accidentally. I was at the University of California, Berkeley Library, and where did this book come from? Uh, I'd already read 10 books. None of them had mentioned this Blue Book Special Report 14. Well, you find out that uh, two things. The better the quality of the sighting, the more likely to be unexplainable. And that 21.5% of the sightings could not be explained completely separate from the 9.3% that were listed as insufficient information. I mean, of course, the Air Force lied to the Secretary of the Air Force. And I say that, you know, I know it's a strong accusation. He said, quote, on the basis of this study, we believe that no objects such as those properly described as flying saucers have overflown the United States. Even the unknown 3% could have been identified as conventional phenomena or illusions if more complete observational information had been available. Well, that takes care of that. The only trouble is, when you look at the report, and I had it, the unknowns were 21.5%, not 3%. That's not three rounded off. Uh, I mean, they lied flat out lied. Yeah, the I mean that release. was that was shocking for me to hear what you said just now because I always heard that the number was much smaller. Well, I, I've got I have distributed a lot of copies. I mean, it doesn't seem to be any other place to get it. Project Blue Special Report fourteen. You can see it on my website www.stantonfriedman.com. There's all kinds of misinformation being put out. One of my roles over the last since 67 is to replace the misinformation with real information. Uh, they asked an obvious question, the people who did this study, whose names were not in the report, but tell Memorial Institute's name is not in the report. They got by with that. They asked an obvious question. Is there any difference between the unknowns, the only ones we're interested in, and the knowns? Let's see what we can find. They had things like apparent size, color, shape, speed, that sort of thing. Six different characteristics. They cross-compare, statistical cross-comparison. Uh, they found the probability that the unknowns are just misknowns was less than 1%. They didn't say, well, they're pretty much the same. They said they're not the same. The data shows it. So... I get upset when people bring up false information. Let's tell the truth. Uh, you know, and yeah, I know about security, and sometimes you have to avoid giving the true information, but not so blatantly as to say that only 3% were unknown when it was 21 and a half, and that was only because there wasn't enough information when that by definition wasn't true. Yeah, that paints a completely different picture. Of course it does. That's why I've been doing what I've been doing for so long, because the public is not stupid. You lay the information out, uh, and you, I, I've debated the debunkers. And one, uh, you know, uh, I do my homework, which they don't. Uh, and I'm, right now, I just finished, I do a monthly column for the uh, MUFON Journal, Mutual UFO Network Journal. And I've been doing it for, I don't know, 10 years or so. 
about 1,600, 1,650 words every month. And it's kind of a challenge. And, uh, you know, some people tell me it's the first thing they read in the journal. I don't know. The column is perceptions. <laughs> that covers a lot of ground. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm trying to replace mythology as put forward by the nasty, noisy negativists, as I call them when I'm being polite. I could say ancient academics or fossilized physicists. But uh, the debunkers don't have a leg to stand on. I've given them plenty of observations. Look, when Dr. Seth Shostak and I debated on coast-to-coast radio, you know, late-night radio show, which I don't listen to it because I don't stay up that late because I'm four hours east of them. <laughs> but when I'm on, I'm on live. You know, we Seth and I debated, uh, and we were cordial to each other. We debated for three hours. We asked for the audience to vote who won. And I got 57% of the vote, and he got 33%. 10% said, I don't know. So, in other words, one can make a strong case that some UFOs are intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. And uh, I've just been reading, I just read the book about Dr. Jill Tarter, an outstanding astronomer. Uh, she retired from the SETI Institute. There's, and I'll give the book about her a, a free plug. New book, Making Contact, Jill Tarter and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Uh, she was a wheel in the SETI Institute for many years. And no place in the book does she really talk about UFOs, except when she was on the show the other night, she made it very clear. There's no evidence for UFOs. Anybody who believes in them is either crazy or ignorant, uh, she said. Uh, sorry, but she doesn't know anything about the subject. That's pretty obvious. And that's distressing. To me, anyway. You know, It's not a scientific opinion if you haven't done your homework. You know, don't you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of the people out there that are the, the biggest debunkers, I, I agree with you. They seem like they haven't even really looked into it that much. That's right. They haven't. And so I do a crusade against them, if you will, sure. But they can look at my book and find the references. Go look at the data. Uh, you know, that's the basic rule of science, isn't it? Ask the question, look at the data, and let's get with it. Why do you suppose uh, there are people out there that try so hard to debunk this stuff? What's in it for them? Well, you know, that's a good question. And what I would say is that there, there's an ego problem, an arrogance problem, and there's a national security problem. Let's face it. Don't you think every Air Force on the planet would love to be able to duplicate the behavior of flying saucers? Mm -hmm. Make wonderful weapons delivery and defense systems. And this planet cares about military stuff. We'll spend a trillion dollars this year on things military. Uh you know, there are a lot of starving people on the planet, and that seems a strange way to, you know, to handle things. But, uh, okay, that's that's the way the ball is being played. Uh, so I, I, there are several different reasons. I In, in my book, uh, Flying Saucers and Science, I have a chapter called The UFO Why Questions. And one of them is, why would aliens come here? Another is, why doesn't the government tell us the truth? Another is, why is the astronomical community so dead set against flying saucers? 
uh, when there's so much evidence that they're real. And, you know, I, I won't play psychiatrist. I do give answers for these things. Another thing, of course, is that uh, we talk about aliens, you know, aren't they land on the White House lawn? I mean, today I won't even try to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one can imagine that there are many people in this planet who are powerful because they're in a national government. We don't have a planetary government. Just nobody speaks for planet Earth. Want to land on the White House lawn? Well, I'll tell you, the President of the United States does not speak for planet Earth. And if we start to move toward an Earthling orientation, as opposed to, uh, I'm a Canadian, I'm an American, I'm both. <laughs> uh, you know, there'd be a lot of people losing power, and nobody wants to lose power. Uh, why would aliens come here? Well, uh, I think every society is concerned about its own survival. That means you got to look out for the neighbors who might be nasty. And uh, I hate to say it, but we finally realized, 1938, gee whiz, there's a, you know what makes the energy in the stars? It's not a mass of burning gas. My goodness, it's nuclear fusion. Holy cow, where'd that come from? We thought it was burning gas. And then we realize it's nuclear fusion. And then we also found out that you can use nuclear fusion for a couple of important things. One is destruction, H-bombs. Uh, second is propulsion, uh, fusion propulsion. I worked on a study in 1962. <laughs> Makes me feel ancient. <laughs> and the conclusion of the study was if you want to go, all it takes is dough, lots of money. People forget how big programs are that work on classified advanced technology things. You know, Lockheed with the stealth aircraft, they spent $10 billion over 10 years. Uh, that's not the only example one can think of. Uh, the military this year on the planet will spend a trillion dollars. Uh, that says something about what we're like. Well, look at the progression and how much power powerful people have at their fingertips, how it's changed in, in my lifetime. I was born in 1934. Okay, we didn't discover there were neutrons until 1932. Fission fusion, we realized, existed. We hadn't produced them yet, really, but except accidentally, really, until 1938. A big bomb in World War II, we dropped a lot of them, 10-ton blockbuster. That's a, a, a regular bomb that releases the energy of 10 tons of dynamite. Wow, big hole in the ground. Okay, and that was in 1944. We were dropping 10-ton blockbusters. First atomic bomb, nuclear fission, entirely different. 1945 released the energy of 16,000 tons of dynamite. That's a big jump. First H-bomb, hydrogen bomb, fusion device, 1952, released the energy of 10 million tons of TNT. And the biggest one the Russians dropped several years later, Tsarbamba, 57 million tons of TNT in one stinking bomb. Now, that means 
you can bother your neighbors if you control fusion. And you realize uh, we've been pretty obvious we're concerned about controlling fusion. We have exploded 2,000 nuclear weapons on this planet. Uh, that's a lot of explosions. We're a threat to the neighborhood on two levels. One, we know how to destroy very well because we can build big bombs. And second, we can use that same knowledge to figure out how to bother them. If I were an alien, I'd be very much concerned about this primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare, last time I checked. Uh, so there are some real deep considerations here. Where's the planet going? Wouldn't everybody out there try to keep us from getting out there? Who yeah. want us out there? Yeah, that's basically the attitude we have towards North Korea. Everybody's really freaked out about them getting the bomb. Well, that's right. There, what I think now it's nine countries that have the bomb. That's scary enough, and there's one, but nine. And when you see how big the bombs are, and so uh, I, I think somebody in the neighborhood is concerned. Quarantine them. Don't let those guys out here. They're nasty. And, you know, that's true, isn't it, when you stop to think about it? How many kids died of starvation last year? Should we be spending a trillion dollars a year on things military? These guys are nuts. You know, uh, let's be realistic here. Yeah, so, you have homeless people flooding the big cities as we speak. Yeah. It, 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 this is a strange planet, if you will. And I, I would sure like access to the history books of the local neighborhood. You know, how many of the civilizations that develop find out about fission and fusion and then wind up destroying themselves or destroying their neighbors? What are the rules of the game? You know, so I am concerned. I'm a great grandfather. I'd like to see that my great grandson, who's 10 years old, uh, grows up in a decent world. I'm not sure it's going to happen. <laughs> to tell you the truth. I mean, look. I've had a great response in 19 countries. I've spoken in all 50 states, 10 Canadian provinces. So this, this is nothing that says that people are giving me a hard time. They're not. I've had 11 hecklers in over 700 lectures. You get that many if you talk about sports or religion or politics. You know? <laughs> and probably several other subjects, but, you know, who killed Marilyn Monroe? Pick, pick one. <laughs> so what what I'm trying to say is, there have well in my book uh, top secret magic i list uh 10 phd theses about ufo's uh, none of them were by astronomers if you read the seti books you don't see them talking about the evidence the data the real world etc uh, so i'm concerned that uh, we're paying too much attention to seti and not enough to ufology Santa, what do you, what's your opinion? There's so many people out there nowadays, people on YouTube and other places online, they're, they're claiming to have an ongoing contact, an ongoing relationship with alien groups. Could this be kind of what you're talking about, this uh, on-the-ground on the floor level of alien interaction? Well, there are, I, I don't doubt that there are many people who have interacted with aliens, been abducted, uh, observed aliens, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't doubt that. I am 
doubt, doubt, very doubtful that all the studies. I just read a paper yesterday. It was presented at uh, the MUFON conference, which is this weekend, this past weekend in uh, Las Vegas. And there's a guy in there claiming that, uh, well, we've been sending people back and forth to Mars for 50 years. Uh, But there's no evidence presented. So it reads like science fiction. You know, there have been great stories about interstellar travel and interstellar wars and good guys and bad guys and all that for a long, long time. You know, uh, but that doesn't mean they're true stories. So... Uh, when you can get away with telling any kind of stories and somebody's going to believe you, then uh, it's a great concern. I want facts. I want data. That's what uh, I'm a physicist, not a psychologist trying to figure out why is this guy telling me the false information? You know, <laughs> let yeah. somebody else worry about that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's so hard to tell fact from fiction. Sometimes you just want to just throw it all away and, and go back to just being one of these run-of-the-mill people that watches football on Sunday and drinks drinks beer and doesn't worry about aliens and UFOs. But there does seem to be some very good evidence out there. I mean, in terms of sightings, like one example would be the Phoenix Lights. Um, what, your opinion yes. on that? What what was going on there? Could that be some kind of precursor to a larger disclosure, a mass sighting like that? Well, I don't see there where anything was disclosed. There were certainly plenty of people. I, I've been to Phoenix and talked to witnesses there. And, you know, they were looking for the comet. So there were a lot of people out looking that night. You know, clear skies, watch the comets. You don't often get a chance to, to see a comet. And uh, I'm satisfied that, uh, indeed, there was this huge object let, let's pick a number, half a mile across, a boomerang-shaped thing, moving slowly and silently across the Phoenix night skies, blocking out the stars. You know, I had one uh, critic say, well, those weren't trained observers. They were uh, four girls, uh, you know, college-age kind of thing. How much of a trained observer do you have to be to say that it, I saw it coming, it went overhead, it blocked out the stars, it was silent, and it was huge. Uh, you don't need to be a trained observer. <laughs> You've got to be able to open your eyes is about the size of it. So uh, why it's going on, you know, who knows? There may be how many different groups are visiting here. I don't know. Look what happened in the New World after Columbus. There were people coming from all over the place to steal gold, to get slaves, to steal vegetables, <laughs> grow, grow vegetables. Uh, all kinds of reasons for coming. They weren't. It wasn't one thing. So you know, these maybe these guys, alien grad students, doing their thesis work on a visit to a primitive society. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, no, it, it, it's a strange world, but I do think there are certain requirements which the scientific method takes into account. And one is you look at the evidence, you don't ignore it. That's one of my faults of the SETI movement. Uh, I can't find references to the large-scale scientific studies. Uh, you know, I, uh, Carl Sagan and I were classmates for three years at the University of Chicago. We're the same age or I'm, I'm alive, he is, but still. Uh, and he has in two different books, uh, 
It's done more than anybody to get people to think about other life in the universe. But in two different books, he says, there are reliable sightings that aren't interesting and interesting sightings that aren't reliable. But there are no reliable and interesting sightings. It sounds very profound. Not supported by any evidence or reference to evidence and totally contradicted by the biggest study ever done for the Air Force. I can't let that go without just pointing the things out that I just pointed out. Uh, and so we, we live in, in a world in which newsmen don't have to learn anything about the subject. The, the press is getting better about UFOs, uh, and I'm glad about that. And, you know, there's an old line that new ideas come to be accepted, not because their opponents come to believe in them, but because their opponents die and a new generation grows up that's accustomed to them. That's the more likely path to belief systems, in other words, get accustomed to it. So uh, what we can do, tell people to do their homework. Uh, And that's not just a pitch to sell books. There is good work out there. As I say, in one of my books, I list 10 PhD theses. Most people don't know that there are any. Uh, You know, do your homework. But there are also implications here for our planet, our survival, our kids, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Where do we go from where we are? And we no longer think that the place was created in 4004 B.C. There were serious scholars who said that not too many years ago. Uh, Today we know that the Earth is at least 4 billion years old, that the the universe is 13 billion years old. That's a long time for things, lots of different things to happen in a lot of different places. Uh, We need to wise up. Uh, I think somebody's been leaving us alone. Quarantine them. Don't let them out here. <laughs> what, what do you think of the idea that uh, there could there could have been a group doing something to that effect since ancient early times, like perhaps a custodial race that has been guiding humanity and guiding hu- human society up until the present day? Well, I don't think they've done a great job of it. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I look, uh, there's a book, The Bible in Flying Saucers, by Dr. Barry Downing. He's got a uh, bachelor's in physics and a doctor of divinity, divine physics is his feet. And he looks at the Old and New Testaments and finds stuff that we'd have to call uh, UFO sightings. So things have been going on for a long time. Now you could say, well, maybe they did something terrible happened here and they're coming to check us out. Uh, who knows what's going on? And I think the government's afraid to dig into it. I'm disappointed at that. But, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, so uh, that people say, well, why do you debate the subject? Because sometimes people need to know that there's another viewpoint than the nasty, noisy, negativist viewpoint. Uh, and I, yeah, I comment about ancient academics and fossilized physicists. That's being polite by comparison to what I'd like to say. <laughs> but uh, I've had a chance to put my finger on the pulse of the world. The last country in which I spoke uh, outside the United States and Canada was uh, Bulgaria. And I've been in Australia and Argentina and Turkey. 
and Finland and, you know, all kinds of South Korea, uh, China, uh, Brazil, Mexico. Uh, I've gotten around and I've been very pleased to see how much interest there is in the subject. Uh, I'm glad about that. And so as long as I'm still walking, I'll keep talking. That's a good line. I like that. <laughs> when you were originally investigating, researching Roswell, did you find that there were alien bodies recovered? And, and what about the tales of the alien being that actually survived and was held captive? Well, you know, uh, yes, I, I'm the original civilian investigator of the Roswell incident. But I can't say that I, I, I'm convinced that we did recover an alien spacecraft with bodies on board, not only there, but also in Aztec, New Mexico, uh, in the plains of San Augustine in New Mexico, and down in Brazil, and in the Soviet Union, and we didn't get access to that one. So, yes, I'm convinced, but uh, this is very tightly controlled, solid information. Uh, I've heard people say wrongly that secrets can't be kept, but with YouTube, you know, and, and the Internet, I'll guarantee you secrets can be kept. The rules for breaking uh, are very strong, and the punishments are... I've, very, I've been a courier for my own classified material, and I was giving a presentation, and the slides weren't ready in time, so, Stan, you'll have to carry these yourself. Now, let's sit down here and tell you the rules. The briefcase stays with you, not in the trunk of the car. You're always paying attention to it. We need your flight itinerary because if the plane crashes, we don't care about you. We've got to recover this classified material. That makes you feel great, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was glad to get rid of that stuff, believe me. Um, so I, I've been out there in, in the real world, and secrets can be kept. But here is an enormous problem. Where do we fit in the local neighborhood? And I don't know how to solve that problem, but I do know that staying ignorant isn't the way to solve it. It's not the way to solve any problem. Uh, so I'm doing what I can to get people involved to learning, to looking at the large-scale scientific studies, uh, to paying attention to the results of the, uh, the crashes and the abductions, uh, you know, abduction sounds like a strange word, but do you realize that the scientists have been abducting specimens for a very long time? <laughs> you know, we do. We, we catch animals in the under the water. We catch animals, you know, on land, and bring them home in cages and study them. And uh, sometimes we even release them back to their home territory. <laughs> that sounds like a very strange behavior to me, but that's what's going on. So uh, what we need is more people thinking about these things and also a better understanding of uh, the universe in which we live. Uh, let me give you an example. People say, uh, I, I've asked when I do seminars on college campuses, I frequently, uh, first thing I'll, I'll often ask them, what's 1G acceleration? 9.8 meters per second squared. I said, well, that's right, but how do you relate that to the real world? Say your car or airplanes or they don't know. 
21 miles per hour per second is 1G. So if you're accelerating your car at 1G, at the end of three seconds, you're going 63 miles an hour. It's a pretty hot car. And we can stand a lot more than that. You can stand 30 Gs for one second, believe it or not. But I ask them what the speed of light is, they tell me. And I say, okay, how long does it take at 1G to get to the speed of light? It's a multiple choice question, gentlemen. 1,000 years, 100 years, 10 years, or 1. How many think it's 1,000? And then how many think it's 110? You'd be surprised how many think it's 1,000 or 100 or 10. The real answer is 1. So in the real world, there's a second part to Einstein. Yes, the speed of light seems to be a limit. But what he also found, theorized, and then it's been experimentally verified, is that as you get close to the speed of light, time slows down for the things getting there. Which sounds crazy. I'm not saying I have a... That's the way God created the universe. That's the best answer I can give. So what does that mean? Well, you get close to the speed of light, you can go 37 light years, distances zeta or 39 light years, distances zeta reticuli, uh, in less than a year. Because that's the way the universe was created. And so it makes all kinds of travel feasible. Maybe expensive, but, uh, you know, uh, it took Magellan way back in, what, 1523 or so. Uh, his ship took three years to go around the planet. He didn't make it. <laughs> Native groups wasn't happy with him. <laughs> uh, and now the space station does it in 95 minutes to go around the planet. From three years to 95 minutes, that's a big change. So we, we want to find out more about the universe because it means we're a lot closer to a lot of other people than we, we used to think we are. You know, we've got our own little square desert out here and nobody's going to bother us. Well, I don't think that's the way it is. That was interesting what you said a few moments ago about capturing and tagging animals. One of the biggest things in the UFO world are the concept of people getting implanted during these abductions. After all the years and decades of your research, would you conclude that these alien implants are a reality? Yes. I don't have any. <laughs> I wish I did. But, uh, yeah, I, I would. And uh, for their purposes. And, you know, you can buy tags that give out radio signals. We attach them to animals ourselves. That's how we do some of our research about you, you catch a, I'll call it a big fish, uh, whales or other things like that, and you uh, implant things in them so you can track them, which sounds really crazy. Wouldn't What would your great-grandfather have said to that? You know, you're tracking those elephants? What, are you crazy? How can you do that? They don't know how to run radios. <laughs> we know how to put devices in them that send out signals. We didn't used to know how to do that, but we do now. Uh, so, yeah, implants are important. Abductions are important. Uh one of the earliest cases that I became aware of is the case of Betty and Barney Hill, uh, abducted in New Hampshire in 1961. Uh, and I've got a book out, Captured, mostly written by Kathleen Marden, who's Betty's niece, and heard about the story the day after it happened. And uh, it's, it's an interesting tale. 
and Betty and Barney were very respectable people. Certainly didn't want any publicity, but somebody broke a confidence and told a newspaper reporter, and they thought they were going to lose their jobs, but they didn't. And one of the things that came out of that, Betty observed a star map while on board. They were very lucky that they were treated by Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was one of the world's experts on post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, PTSD. I mean, we got a fancy name for it now. But he ran a hospital during World War II, 3,000 beds, for uh, military guys who were suffering from PTSD. You know, your buddy's head gets blown off next to you. It's a traumatic experience, you know. And fortunately, he didn't know anything about UFOs, but he did know how to treat people who've been in stressful situations. And uh, he did a great job with them. Uh, And yes, I met them, and uh, Kathy tried everything possible to go through all the files, Betty's files. She's the custodian of Betty's files to see if we we could get anything out that would say that the event didn't happen. And quite the reverse, we find that the event did happen. And there was a star map uh, seen by Betty. And Dr. Simon fortunately asked her if she could remember what it looked like. She said, yes. Gives her a post-hypnotic suggestion, please draw it later on, only if you can remember it accurately. And she did, and it's in the first book, The Interrupted Journey. Uh, And... The stars in the map have been identified, and it turns out that the base stars, uh, instead of being five light years from each other, 4.3 years the way we are from the next one, are Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli, which doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it's a constellation of reticulum, the net. What's interesting is these two sun-like stars are only an eighth of a light year apart. We're over four light years from the next star over. These guys got next door neighbors. It makes sense to me that they would develop interstellar travel earlier having a next door neighbor. Doesn't that make sense? You know, what, let's go look at the neighbors. Uh, and so that gives you an entirely different perspective. Planets all over the darn place, and some of them very close to other planets. So somebody has apparently worked out a method of getting along with their neighbors. Well, wouldn't that be nice to learn? We, we could use that knowledge here, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, that book is captured, and we talk about the uh, stars. But uh, it, it's important to realize that our situation of being out in the boondocks is not the way all planets are. Many of them have are 30 times closer to their neighbor than we are. It's an entirely different situation. So maybe we've been lucky. <laughs> you know. Does free energy nope. exist somewhere out there in, in the vast space? Well, people claim that there's free energy uh, in the sense that uh, nuclear fusion it's so much energy per pound of material, but it's truly incredible. So it, it's practically free once you learn how to do something about it. It's like when I started working in industry, I was using the slide rule to make calculations. Uh, nobody uses the slide rule anymore because you can buy a little pocket calculator for a few bucks that does everything a slide rule did and a heck of a lot more. 
Progress comes from doing things differently in an unpredictable way. So you can burn a lot of gas to make energy, or you can use nuclear fission. Or When I was working on fission rockets for Westinghouse Astronuclear Lab, we tested, this is at the end of the 60s, a nuclear rocket engine, a fission device, that was less than eight feet in diameter at a power level of 1,100 megawatts. That's half the power of Hoover Dam, which is a heck of a lot bigger than eight feet in diameter. (laughs) Now, Los Alamos, uh, less than a year later, tested one over 4,000 megawatts. Exhaust temperature of the hydrogen was over 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So here you've got this enormous amount of energy from this little device. You know, so how much energy you need? Well, it depends, you know. (laughs) Uh, A slide rule doesn't take much energy, but it doesn't work very fast. But a little pocket calculator takes very little energy, and it does work fast. Progress comes from doing things differently in an unpredictable way. And you, you don't have to look far to see that. You know, I look at the tel- I remember when you had a television set, you the tubes would burn out. So you'd look in back and you'd take out the tubes and you'd take them down to the store and replace the ones that weren't working anymore. You don't do that anymore. <laughs> at least I don't know anybody who does. Because <laughs> they don't make any more TVs with vacuum tubes. These solid-state devices. Uh, so uh, things change, and they can change very rapidly. And I'm glad for it. Uh, And so energy, well, sun puts out a lot of energy, but that isn't from burning gas. It's from nuclear fusion. Uh, Have some scientific developments been held back from us by major corporations and world governments? I don't think so. You know, it's easy to say there are bad guys out there keeping us from making progress, but... There's a profit to be made. You know, uh, we're not still using slide rules. And there are companies that went broke trying to beat the uh, opposition, so to speak. But uh, I think that uh, not a lot's being held back. Uh, Because there are too many renegades. You know, uh, the, the right to fail is the American businessman's dream, isn't it? When you stop to think about it. <laughs> and a lot of guys do. Yeah. I mean, for every, how many guys are there for every Steve Jobs who's done so well uh, who went broke? Sorry. You know, not everybody makes a great success out of it. Uh, that's the way life is. That's the great thing about capitalism the opportunity to fail and to win and win big. <laughs> you got to just find out whether you're on the right side of that. Do you ever actually go out and visit some of these UFO hotspots hoping to see something? I haven't done that in years. Uh, I have been on a couple, but I figure it's better to be in touch with all the other people who are going out and find the right people to talk to and listen to what they have find, found. Uh, uh, look, the Mutual UFO Network, it's... Yeah, 500 sighting reports a month. A month. 
So they don't need to all be good. <laughs> yeah. Give me your 10 best every month. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> uh, so uh, most of the things in the world that we're interested in, we don't have to uh, experience ourselves. Uh you know, I, I don't have to get shot to know that it's not a good thing to do. You know, <laughs> soon not be. Uh, and we take witness testimony is important in our lives, in which the world in which we live. Now, one thing that everybody is going to find almost immediately after Googling your name are your opinions and thoughts and research you've done on the Majestic 12 documents. Uh, could you, oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> could you could you tell us just a little bit about that? Uh, it's my understanding that you you believe that these documents are the real deal. Well, you got to be careful when you say these documents. There were dozens of MJ12 documents, Majestic 12 documents, received. I find that the great majority of those are phony, uh, but that's not what matters. I found uh, four good ones. When I say they're phony, okay, uh, why do I say that? Well, for just to give you a specific example, there's one uh, which says that General Wiedemeyer, who was a prominent expert on China back in the 40s, said he was involved with this MJ-12 group. Well, I called the Marshall Archives, uh, George Marshall, who was... Secretary of Defense and a great American, uh, and said, can you see any reason why Wiedemeyer would be part of this MJ-12 group? He says, no, I can't. Uh, he was, uh, China was his bag. Uh, why don't you read his book? Oh, I didn't know he'd written one. Well, okay. Gave me the name of the book. I called my University of New Brunswick library, which is two miles from the house. They had it. I went over and got it. And in 45 minutes... I found three documents in there that somebody had changed just a little bit to make them look like they were saying something else. They were phony, the ones that were being distributed. Not the ones in the book were genuine, but if you change the date to get what you want and so forth. So I found, uh, I went back to the same part of the library and found a couple other books and found some more documents that had been uh, hoaxed, phonified. I don't know what to call them. So, on the other hand, uh, I have, when I think the document's genuine, I've looked very deeply. I've spent time, at, uh, I've been to 20 different archives. You know, somebody would pay me, I'd spend full time at them. <laughs> you know? And, for example, Philip Klass, who was one of the noisiest of the negativists, uh, there were no sightings that can't be explained, he proclaimed. Perhaps he, he writes me that one of these documents, the J-12 documents, Maybe you didn't notice it was done in the large pica type, but uh, gee, the National Security Council, NSC documents are all done in the small elite type. I challenge you to find any other genuine documents done in the same size and style type, and he had a few kickers and so forth. And I'll give you $100 each, up to a maximum of 10 if you can find any of those documents. Ha ha. Well, I was going to the Eisenhower Library, uh, I, first, I went to my files. I immediately found 20 documents done in large pica type. They didn't meet all this criteria. NSC was a 
big organization. There's hundreds of thousands of pages of stuff. But I was going to there anyway, so I went, and I found 14, which I copied, and I sent him an invoice, $100 each, $1,000, and he paid me. And he got very angry at my publicizing a copy of his check. Uh, and it turned out, I didn't know this when he made the challenge, he had never been to the Eisenhower Library. We're just supposed to take his word for it. You know, he got nine by mail done in this elite type. That's good enough, isn't it? No, it's not. So I'm saying that there are some, a few, very important uh genuine documents and a whole bunch of phony ones okay that's the price you pay uh, you know gold is worth mining if there's an ounce of gold per ton of ore so you know i'm looking for the ounces uh so i have got a whole book about top secret magic which is about the mj12 documents and i'm willing to take anybody on on that uh and I can tell you why this whole bunch of documents are phony. And there were some released uh, oh, less than a month ago now. And it, it takes a while to figure out what's going on. There was a, a big MJ-12 document, 48 pages, actually, two per sheet, so 24 sheets. And uh, I, I checked on a couple of things. One of them has President Truman meeting uh, an alien in Vermont. Don't ask me why Vermont. I'm just telling you. On a certain date. And uh, another page, uh, Eisenhower was meeting with aliens in New Mexico on a certain date. So I contacted the uh, Truman Library, the Eisenhower Library, and found uh, they keep very good schedules of what the president was doing all the time, where he was, who he was seeing, who was phone calls coming in, the whole business. And I was able to show that in both these cases, the president was someplace else and a good record of it. So it takes the price of liberty's eternal vigilance. <laughs> so I am happy to take on anybody. I would advise you read my book first because I expose the truth. But yes, I think there was a group called MJ-12. As a matter of fact, that helps answer another problem. There was a memo written in 1968, the end of 1968, by an Air Force general, Carol Bolander, Brigadier General. And he was an engineer on the Lunar Excursion Module program. He was busy in 68. You know, we were heading to the moon and an awful lot going on that. And in this memo, he was asked, uh, the University of Colorado guy, uh, Dr. Condon, had recommended that uh, Project Blue Book, the Air Force UFO study group, uh, was not contributing much. It should be canceled. So the Air Force asked General Bolander, who had no connection with Blue Book, independent viewpoint, in other words, and a sharp engineer, uh, what should we do about Blue Book? So he wrote a memo, which we didn't see until 10 years later, but Blue Book was closed as a result of that. And in this memo. There's a strange statement. Reports of UFOs which could affect national security, he said, are made in accordance with JNAP, Joint Army, Navy, Air Force Publication 146, or Air Force Manual 55-11, and are not part of the Blue Book system. 
Well, that's an extraordinary statement because the Air Force for many years said Blue Book was it. That's all. That's all they're doing. Also, two paragraphs later, he says, if we close Project Blue Book, the public won't have to report sightings. However, as already noted, reports which could affect national security will continue to be investigated using the procedures designed for that purpose. Wow. So I managed to find General Carol Bolander. That's a lot easier than Bill Smith, I wanted to point out. And I spoke with him, and I explained to him that I'd had a clearance for 14 years, and I'd read his memo with great interest. And uh, I said, it sounds to me like you're saying that there are two separate communication channels. One for sightings that could affect national security, and I told him I'd been told by somebody uh, just a few weeks earlier that he was at a military base when a saucer went down the runway at the base, and there were nuclear weapons stored at that base, and so I consider that to be a national security problem. On the other hand, I said if my wife and I are driving down the street and happen to catch a UFO flying by, big deal, happens all the time. So two separate channels of information, a communication, right? He said yes. He agreed with me. Now, you can't have him on your program because he's dead, unfortunately. But uh, the point is that his saying that reports which could affect national security are treated differently was very important because I think MJ-12 was the place where they went. Because, look, once you're swamped with everybody and his brothers seeing some kind of a strange thing in the sky, you'll be spinning your wheels. What you want is to get the good stuff investigated, right? And I think that's what MJ-12 did. Now, I'm sure the name got changed. Uh, You normally change the name of secret uh, groups whose name goes public. So, yes, I think there is the equivalent of Majestic 12, that it was very well hidden, and that uh, I will take on anybody who says uh, there was no MJ-12. I would suggest they read my book first because they lay out the arguments. But, uh, you know, so, yes, I know that there are many people who will insist there is no MJ-12. Governments can't keep secrets. I have people tell me, uh, with the YouTube... And the Internet, you can't keep any secrets. And I will absolutely guarantee you that's not true. Our first spy satellite was the Corona spy satellite. This is when we knew the U-2 was going to get shut down, a shot down, <laughs> a shot down as well. And it was about in the early, uh, late 50s, early 60s. There were 12 failures in a row in secret, no public discussion. The 13th one worked and got more data than all the U-2 flights that had been spying in the Soviet Union. Well, we launched a lot of those Corona spy satellites. And you know what? Public Corona wasn't talked about publicly uh, for 30 years. Amazing. Stanton, I believe that we may have a caller on the line. Caller, are you there? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, a fantastic show, gentlemen. Good evening, Stanton. Thank you. Good evening to you. Um, I've followed you for many years. You've got so much stuff out there, radio, TV, lectures, books. Um, on the one hand, Stanton, you're, 
you, you claim that, that, that you don't think they're hiding the event, you know, that we pretty much know what they have in advanced technologies. But on the other hand, you point out how they spend all the money on the, the weapons and uh, leave the starving basically to fend for themselves. Um, and then on the other hand, you, you claim how they, uh, they are able to hide the secrets. Um, over the years, Stanton, I noticed you, you don't talk a lot about the Illuminati in that. You know, you don't, you don't no. get involved in that. Um, but don't you think that there has to be some kind of a group that's, that's over the top of all the other, you know, gov- all the governments in secret? Well, I think every major country has a secret group doing classified work. Uh, some are bigger than others, obviously. You don't think they would be tied together somewhere into a world? Well, I, I world don't thing. I have seen no evidence that they are. They have similar goals, power. Uh, you know, I want to protect myself and my people against those guys, those bad guys over there. You know, I mean, that, that sort of attitude. But remember, we live on a planet which hasn't managed to set up a world government. Uh, now, mutually assured destruction is certainly one way that you work that. You know, and well, once we were you're able a little to, bit older. I'm in my I'm in my fifties, so you're in what seventy? You're seventy. I'm be eighty three next week. Eighty three next week. So you're a couple of generations um, above me, ahead of me. My parents didn't seem to acknowledge any of the the stuff kind of that my generation kind of listens to about the conspiracy, and that's why they're hiding it in the world government. But, but Stanton, why would they create the who, – who would be behind creating the phony MJ-12 documents, and, and why would they do it? Just to make a goose chase for people that were trying to get to the bottom of the – Documents or well, I think so. I, I think you put out phony documents to muddy the waters. Uh, you know, I, as I suggested to somebody who used to work for the CIA, uh, I said, uh, "Don't you think uh, Air Force intelligence groups have classroom exercise? Hey, guys, your assignment for next week is come up with a phony document." And he yeah, said, of course. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Wouldn't so, there be a point, though, where they have to be on top of the phony documents, too? Or could they just sit and release tons of phony documents just to spread chaff into the... Well, I think it puts a lot they, of chaff out there, yes. Uh, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why... I, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, and I don't know why the media, for example, hasn't done a better job of going after the truth about flying saucers. Is it because somebody told them not to? I, I don't know. I'm not going to uh, attribute uh, objectives to people doing dirty stuff. <laughs> I got uh, one more question, and I really appreciate sure. your interview. Um, have you ever had an experience that just kind of on a more personal, sensitive level was deeper than, you know, was you couldn't explain it? You couldn't put it together? I, I wish I could say yes and tell you. Your response. 
I, I wish I could say yes, but I haven't. I've never seen a flying saucer or anything like an alien. And, uh, yeah, sometimes I wish I had so I could talk from, you know, firsthand experience. On the other hand, uh, there, uh, I've never seen a neutron or a gamma ray. I spent yeah. 14 years chasing damn neutrons and gamma rays. <laughs> I never saw right, one. Right, right. Oh, they're they real. They're there. Yeah. yeah, well, we can do um, experiments that give evidence that shows they are there and stuff like that. So personal experience is not really the test of truth. I mean, it will convince no, you no. maybe, you know, but the fact that you, absence of evidence is not evidence for absence. In other words, the fact that I haven't seen a damn flying saucer and I wish they'd stop by it doesn't mean they don't exist. It means I haven't seen one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I just appreciate the show, and thank you, gentlemen. Thanks. Thank you, and thanks for calling. And uh, go to my website. You'll find out about the books and the articles and where I'm speaking next and all that sort of stuff. Triple W. I follow you. I follow you, I'm kind of. <laughs> okay. I, I follow you. I read your stuff, listen to your stuff. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thank caller. Okay, good evening. Good evening. Now, Stanton, one other topic that gets a lot of attention and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of solid evidence is this whole reptilian thing. A lot of people believe in reptilians. Some people even allege to be in contact with them. Do you feel that there's enough out there, enough first-hand, second-hand, third-hand evidence out there where we can say that these things actually exist? It's in my gray basket. <laughs> Not enough data to say one way or another. How do you separate the fact from the fiction? Uh, it would surprise me if all the beings coming here from all over the place are the same. You know, wouldn't, it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were differences. Uh, look at the variations in, in living things on this planet. Holy cow. Uh, not so holy cows, but uh, so uh, I, I don't know whether, and I, I don't need to know. In other words, if there are six kinds of aliens visiting or twenty-seven kinds, uh, I don't know. Uh, we have a big variety of all kinds of living things on this planet. I'm amazed by that. I mean, I'm I'm just a dumb old physicist. So we only have a certain number of particles. But when it comes to living things, you know, how many variations of bacteria, of viruses, of critters in the ocean? Holy cow! It's incredible. So, you know, I don't know whether on most planets it's already taken care of. They've sorted and sifted, and they only have A type and B type, or whether they all have twenty-seven different varieties. I don't know. I'd like to know, but. Uh, <laughs> Not much I can do about it unless I can find me 10 aliens to interview, and I, why should I believe them? <laughs> they may be lying. Yeah, very fair point. A another thing that you hear about often, and this could even be the reason why some UFOs have crashed, is there's people that claim that there's covert sort of wars and conflicts going on behind the scenes, like perhaps the, the Roswell crash was actually shot down by another alien group. It, could that be possible? Well, I suppose it could be possible. I think there was a mid-air collision, and that's why we have uh, the crash in the plains of San Augustine as well as the Roswell crash. Uh, who knows? Uh, well, I, there, I did 
discover that the radar people forget back then, 1947, uh, all the big equipment was, uh, you know, vacuum tubes. And they take a while to warm up. So radar sets, tracking or otherwise, uh, were left on. And so I found an article in the appropriate paper that there was a, a launch expected from White Sands Missile Range. So there's no question that the radar would have been on. So if you got two saucers, and more than 40% of the cases involved more than one vehicle being seen at a time, you know, pilot and a wingman, if you want a crude explanation. Uh, so it's conceivable to me that they were zipping along, checking things out. New Mexico's an interesting place to check. After all, that's where we tested our first A-bomb on the planet. Uh, that's where we were firing captured German V-2s and so forth. So you got pilot and wingman zipping along, and they run into this beam that's just aiming upward. It's not circular, you know, rotating. Uh, just having it ready for when the, the missile launch was scheduled. And it discombobulated their guidance system. Temporary glitch. Holy cow, where'd that come from? Because if you look around there, it's not a highly populated area, to say the least. I've driven a lot of miles in New Mexico. <laughs> and so... Uh, these may have been uh, collisions caused by the unexpected presence of a radar system. Uh, I, I don't know. So uh, there, there, we have a lot of questions that we don't have answers for, but we have some that we do have answers for. One, there's overwhelming evidence the planet's being visited by intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. There's overwhelming evidence that we're dealing with a cosmic water gate. In other words, uh, the governments are lying. And, I, you know, I don't say that nasty. Every government lies. Okay. But I live in Canada. We don't lie as much up here because they have less to lie about. We don't have nuclear weapons and stuff like that. So uh, you, you come to certain conclusions that you can justify. There are others that, you know, I don't know why they did this or that, whether that was intentional or uh, unfortunate. You know, police have the problem all the time. Was that an accident or was that an intentional bad thing that happened? You know, did somebody cause it to happen because he was unhappy about somebody else? When you start looking for motivation and stuff, that's a tough one to handle from outside the situation. Who knows why people do what they do? Yeah, one thing that crossed my mind earlier when you were talking about the nuclear age, there being UFOs and alien groups arriving or taking interest because of it, I, I can't help but think about all the different cases where supposedly they were doing a test or they were doing something involving nuclear weapons, and a UFO showed up and actually shut things down almost as if, yes. to, yeah, it's so strange. Well, there's more than one case like that. Certainly uh, the case in Montana uh, where, you know, a UFO shows up at the gate and they radio down. I've talked to Bob Salas, who's written a whole book about this. And uh, he sort of laughed it off. And then a couple minutes later, the guy calls back. And then 10 Minuteman missiles went offline, one after the other. Theoretically, that's impossible. But it happened. And it's happened in Russia, things like that. It happened in uh, Minot, North Dakota. So... You know, uh, that's maybe one of the big reasons the government isn't telling us what's going on, because they don't want to admit that we're vulnerable. 
you know, uh, ask them for their motivation. <laughs> They'll tell you they're protecting us, won't they? <laughs> Isn't that always the excuse? They're doing it for our own good? Yes, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're, they certainly are interested in things nuclear. But you can understand that. Again, I, I have to emphasize we're not talking about a nuclear bomb is a little more powerful than a dynamite bomb, TNT or whatever. Look at that sequence from a bomb in 44 releasing the energy of 10 tons of dynamite. First fission weapon next year, 16,000 tons of dynamite. First H-bomb in 1952... 10 million tons of dynamite, and the biggest one, the, the Russian one, Tsarbama, 57 million tons. Now, look at that progression. You know, that's incredible and scary. How is it that they were able to multiply the effect of the bomb by so much? I'm not sure I understand how that works. Well, uh, look, uh, the easiest way to understand how it works is that one fusion event involves a release of uh, 183 million electron volts. Normal lighting a match, uh, 10 electron volts. So you're dealing with processes that are enormously, incredibly more energetic and so how to keep it together long enough and, and you know, how big an aircraft they have to carry the damn thing, uh, you know. But it's a whole different world. That, that's what happened when we went nuclear. And like I said, we didn't even know there were neutrons, which are a constituent of all kinds of matter, uh, until 1932. Fission and fusion, we found out a little bit about 1938. And by the 50s we had a bomb that could release more than 50 million tons of dynamite worth of energy uh, that's a whole different ball game it's just not more of the same wholly different process so we're just growing up how many civilizations have been at that stage for a billion years and weren't they actually launching some of these huge, massive nuclear weapons like right out there into space for some odd reason? Well, there were some plans that we wanted to blow up a, a weapon on the moon to see what happened, how much energy got released, uh, whether the water turned up, <laughs> we beat the heck out of the moon. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of strange things done, and I'm not going to try to justify that. Uh, we want to find out, and I am pleased that some sensible earthlings have at least decided that you know dropping nuclear weapons on people is not a good idea let's you know mutually agree that that's not a good thing to do uh it's kind of like once you get a nuclear submarine and you can put a nuclear weapon on board on a rocket so that it, you don't know your enemy doesn't know where it is uh maybe you don't want to attack him because he can attack him back. Mutually assured destruction. That sounds mad, M-A-D-D, -D, you know. <laughs> but uh, so we, we've had, uh, I won't call it a truce, 
Well, with the exception of this guy in uh, North Korea, who doesn't seem to care about any of these things, uh, he's going to show how powerful he is. Uh, we, we've stayed with a certain tension around that keeps us from acting too foolish. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in terms of this entire UFO thing, looking into it, being somebody that has been in it for so many decades and had the security clearances and all that, would you say that there is a certain, uh, maybe a small element of danger there for people that are looking into this stuff, being that there are so many parties out there that are interested in keeping certain lines of information suppressed? Could, is it a little bit dangerous? Well, living is inherently dangerous because it seems to invariably result in death. So maybe we shouldn't live because then I won't die. I, that's sort of circular reasoning, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't worry about it. Uh, there is danger if you're trying to penetrate the uh, classification barrier because that's against the law. It, it's against the law to give classified information to a person who has not the appropriate clearance and the appropriate need to know. Clearance isn't enough. You've got to have the need to know. So there are illegalities associated there. Uh, People, remember, people forget, we uh, assassinate, well, executed, that sounds better. We executed spies. Uh, Remember the Rosenbergs, man and a woman. We killed them because they had violated security. And I, I know that there are some people, Americans in particular, think, what do you mean? We didn't execute any women for being spies, did we? Yes, we did. Uh, you know, tough life out there, folks. There are rules. you got to play by the rules. Uh, or you're going to pay the consequences. That's what life is all about. So, yeah, there are dangers associated with that. There are, you know, maybe there are rogue aliens out there who want to become powerful and have their own little planet to play on. So they'll play games with the bad guys down here. I I don't know. I'm certainly not saying that, well, somebody has figured out how to live without crime and bad guys and all this. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard this one before, but could some of these alien groups actually be time travelers? Well, I'm just reading, uh, I I just read a MUFON paper by somebody who claims that we've been chrono-travelers, have gone off to Mars, and, uh, you know, takes 20 minutes, time travelers. Uh, I have no reason to say that that's true yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm open, but uh, I have seen no evidence, uh, and that's what I want is evidence. So, In your opinion, is it possible? Is time travel possible? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't accomplished it. But on the other hand, remembering that other part of Einstein, the faster you go, uh, the more time slows down. So who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to shorten my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, it, it's already been longer than most people have a chance to live, and I'm grateful for that. Uh and I can't explain why, you know, I've lived as long as I have. But uh, uh, 
Uh, maybe I'm one of the good guys. Maybe it's just an accident. Who knows? Maybe I've been dead six times and didn't know it, and they resuscitated me. Who knows? How about this one? Is there room for God in a reality with aliens? Well, I think it depends on how you define God. I certainly would expect that any advanced civilization that is much more advanced than us is able to do things that we that make no sense to us, whether it's telepathy, reincarnation, these other crazy ideas. Look, we have another, enough stories of people being taken through walls. How do you do that? I'll never forget listening to a tape of a hypnosis session with a woman who's describing her, and you can just tell the wonderment in her voice of it. You know, like, I, I, I'm seeing, but how did that happen? How did they do that? And I don't know. So I leave room for what we don't know. We're not a very advanced civilization. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's, it seems like we might be in the Stone Age compared to some of these groups. But unfortunately, we are getting uh, close to the end of our interview. But I did want to go ahead and just open things up a bit and give you an sure. opportunity to just say whatever last things you'd like to say. If you'd like to get up on the soapbox one more time or say anything to the listeners out there, and feel free to go ahead and follow that up with any work okay. that works that it's in progress, anything at all that you'd like to plug. Well, I would like to say that there's there are a number of good books, and not just mine, <laughs> uh, that I think we need to recognize that we're dealing with an important matter because it does involve our defense systems. It does involve people's lives, maybe finding out how to live a long time, how to cure cancer, you know, all these other things. Advanced technology has a lot to offer us. We don't know what it is yet, but uh, so I think people need to get educated. I think they need to be concerned about what I would call the arrogance of earthlings. We act as if uh, we rule the roost, and we don't. Uh, we're not a very advanced civilization, judging by what I've seen anyway in my 82 and 9, 12, 11, 12 years. Uh, so I think it behooves us all to try to come to terms with what does it mean for mankind that we're not alone? Are we good guys, bad guys? Can we do a better job of taking care of our people? Uh do we have something to learn from aliens? Or maybe they have rules they can't teach us. Just keep your bad stuff out of our place, maybe the attitude. I don't know. It's a fascinating question. And I wish I had answers and could say, well, I know about God and uh, all these other things. And I don't. I'm still looking. I knew a rabbi once, and I told him many years ago uh, that, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if there was a God. And his response surprised me. So long as you're asking the question, that's what matters. So we got to keep asking questions. That's my view. And, you know, sure, read my books, buy my books, watch the videos. There's a bunch of them on the website. But get educated. Find out what's really going on. Talk to your friends. Don't be afraid. Uh, it's okay. Uh, fear of ridicule, as it turns out, I, I learned this the hard way. I've checked my audiences. Uh, and at the end of my lecture, I'll ask, how many of you believe you've seen what I would consider to be a flying saucer? Just raise your hand. I'm not asking your name or anything. Typically, it's 10%. 
I'd point and count across the room. So we got a thousand people. That's a hundred sightings. But then I ask, uh, how many of you reported what you saw? Ninety percent of the hands go down. If there's still any hands left, how many of you were in the service at the time, military? You want to tell us about it? I get some great stories. There's an awful lot that we don't hear about because the fear of ridicule keeps people from sticking their nose out, their neck out. So I want people not to be fearful. I want them to search, discover, wonder, study, and be good people. What else can I say? Very cool. I just wanted to say big thank you for giving so much of your time to this program today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, Stanton, and I hope to talk to you again one of these days. I think that's a great idea. Let's do it again, not tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Until then, my friend, you have a good day. You too. Thank you. And there you have it. That was the legendary Stanton Friedman, one of the biggest, most notable names in UFO research today and for how many decades. I highly recommend you check out his work. Highly recommend you learn who he is and what he is all about because he's a very important name, and that's why he was here on this program. I can't always guarantee we're going to have people like Stanton Friedman on, but when he does have an opportunity to come on this program, be sure to tune in and call in if you have any questions that you'd like to ask of somebody of this caliber. Remember, if you want to call into this program, that number is 209-348-9810 or ninjashu777 on Skype. I do apologize. I definitely need to get in the habit of giving that number out before I start the interview process. But big thank you and shout out to Todd for calling in earlier. I'm going to go ahead and play some music and then we'll come back and there's some things to talk about. Lots of things to talk about. Hello and welcome back to End of Days Radio. Sorry to cut the music short. But that song is very, very long, and it's just going to go on and on for a very long time. I do apologize to all of you out there that listen to this show in podcast form, because a lot of these songs I have to cut out because I don't have permission or don't own the rights to use it, so I have to just delete it out of there and not play it, unfortunately. But as All of you know, this is the wrap-up portion of End of Days Radio. This is the time where we do a little listener roundtable. We talk about news stories. We read fan mail. We talk about whatever bullshit is going on out there in the world. Remember, you can catch up on all things End of Days Radio at endofdaysradio.com, where you can get our live schedule. Just go to the upcoming guest section And that way you will know when the show is on and you will know when you can attend our live show. This was a surprise show that was not listed on the calendar. It was put together kind of at the last minute, but very glad to have Stanton on. It's a a true honor, to say the least. So I don't expect there to be tons and tons of you lovely little live listeners out there, but I'm sure you guys will all be back for the next show, which will be with Kenneth and Farrah Deal. On July 26th at 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. I, you know what? You know what's funny? I, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but 
I've been using Pacific Standard Time for like everything, always, as long as I've been doing the show. And I didn't realize that I was screwing up a little bit. Actually, I should have been changing that. I should have been, I should have been actually switching to PDT at a certain time of year. It's so weird and complicated, but I apologize. I should know this stuff. Luckily, I do now. Actually, Stanton Friedman actually helped me out with that. He's like, <laughs> he sent me an email. He's like, Daniel, what are you, what are you talking about? Don't you mean PTD? <laughs> when I looked it up, I'm like, oh my god, how embarrassing! How how long has this been going on? I've just been completely confusing the shit out of all of these people for years and years. Oh well, it's one of those things where you can be smart in certain ways and you can be really dumb in certain ways. Like a lot of times, I'll shout into the mic too. There's absolutely no reason why I would ever need to shout into the microphone. Yet I find myself doing it from time to time. Maybe because I had very weak, low-level microphones in the past. I'm not sure, but I have bad habits like that that I'm trying to I'm trying to correct. I want this show to be as good as possible, and that means constant and never-ending improvement. That's something that I learned from Anthony Robbins. You guys know Tony Robbins, right? A lot of you out there probably just think he's a flake. He makes money off of bullshit, blah blah blah. But it's not true. Tony Robbins is the man. I highly recommend listening to him. If you don't want to pay for stuff, listen to it for free on YouTube. It's not just motivational stuff. It's it's NLP. It's stuff like that. It's stuff designed to get you on track from a psychological perspective. But this show is not about Anthony Robbins. It's not about positivity or motivational stuff, is it? It is, but it isn't. This show is about ghosts and goblins and shadow people and gray aliens who who feel your genitalia while you sleep, who caress your genitalia while you sleep. Those delicious, delicious little grays. This show is about all things fringe, weird, paranormal, out of this world, but it's not limited to those things. In fact, I've had musicians on, I've had normal everyday folk on, and I I plan to expand things a little bit more. We're going to stay in the paranormal realm, of course. That's what you guys want to hear, obviously. But if there's a great guest who maybe he used to be some sort of circus clown and he has amazing stories of getting in fights with elephant trainers and, and, and getting clown bashed and stuff like that, I would definitely like to talk to somebody like that. And I know you guys would like to hear from somebody like that. So if you're a deranged ex-circus clown and you need some kind of outlet, Hit me up. That's Daniel End of Days Radio at gmail.com. But anyways, let's let's get to the meat and bones. Let's start with some fan mail. This is from Han. He writes, Hi Daniel, you were way too hard on the Wolfman. I like Wolfman's style, and you are being a mean. You are being a mean. Looks like that's a typo. Let him back on from Han. Okay, Han. Fair enough. Maybe I was a little bit hard on the Wolfman. He absolutely got me wound up and twisted into a little knot, and I was furious. I was furious, to say the least. I was absolutely livid. (laughs) I was just so frustrated from dealing with it. Maybe I was a little too shot out of a cannon, maybe a little too harsh on Wolfman Mike You know, for that whole thing that he put me through. If you don't know what I'm talking about, 
you're going to have to go back to, heck, I don't even know what show that was on. The Linda Godfrey episode, the show before last, where I explained that whole thing. If you can listen to that and not understand why I was losing my mind, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you then. If you can listen to that and and not not get why I was pulling my hair out, what little hair I have left while I was pulling my hair out. If if you guys can listen to that and still think that I was being mean, then maybe I was. Maybe I was. Maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. Uh, I'm going to reduce Wolfman's band from End of Days Radio from 12 months to 11 months. How about that? I took a month off of his band. This means he can come back on the show a whole month sooner. He, he's actually, he actually only has an 11-month sentence now, and he's already served half of it, so he technically only has 10 and a half months left. And in that time, he can think about how he treated me and treated the show, and hopefully he'll have a change of attitude. <laughs> right? Okay. And, and if, I, if I was too hard on Wolfman, then I apologize. I, I'm not perfect. I do think that he is a bit disrespectful in how he markets himself, how he calls into other shows. But hey, that's his style. That's what he does. And some people seem to really like that. He does seem to have a very small, very small following around his show. So you got to give him credit for that. Being a guy up in Canada who just pounds back beers and probably doesn't even know how to work his mic, he probably just you know, bought some shitty mic from Walmart and just plugs it in and starts chugging beer. Uh, if his if his wife really did pass away, then I really feel bad for him because that that could be. I mean, I can't imagine anything more heartbreaking. I just pray that nothing like that ever happens to me. It, it almost makes you want to stay single so you don't have to deal with anything like that. It's like when you get a cat, then the cat dies. You don't want to get any more cats because you just don't want to go through that anymore. But I, you know, I don't, I don't hate Wolfman or anything like that. I just, he just ticked me off. He just really ticked me off. I sure as heck am giving him enough plugs, aren't I? I mean, for all the times that I came on here and ranted about how big of a douche Wolfman Mike can be, I'm sure there's people listening and Googling Wolfman Mike or Monster Castle Paranormal. Okay, there's another, another free plug for somebody that probably doesn't even deserve it. Are you happy now, Han, Han, whoever you say your weird name, Han? Who names their kid Han nowadays? Are you, are you German, Han, Han? Are you German? Not, there's nothing wrong with that. Just wondering. Don't get all offended out there. I know all of you people out there love to get offended. All of you hairy armpit hippie chicks getting worked up into a rage coming at me over YouTube. Coming at me, come at me, bro. Come at, come at me. What would you say for a girl? Come at me, come at me, uh, girl, hairy armpit girl, whatever. I don't know. There, there does seem to be a lot of hairy armpit hippie chicks out there nowadays, and their numbers are growing. So remember, you must fight back against the plague, against the menace. This force must be stopped. Winter is coming. And speaking of winter is coming, I guess winter is here now. As many of you know, Game of Thrones, so many of our favorite show, not my favorite show of all time, but probably my favorite show that's on TV at the moment. 
I think that's fair to say. It's back. It's back, and it's the last season. The TV show is not based directly on the books. The TV show, I, I believe I have this correct, it takes elements from the books and from the upcoming books that weren't written yet, and they're like reincorporated back into the show. They're reincorporated into the show, not back into the show, into the show. So a lot of what you see when you watch the show, it's not from any books. It's stuff that the show's writers came up with, and I'm sure they talked to the author and stuff like that. But it's not, it, you can't just go and read the books and get the whole story. The last ones have not even been, <laughs> the last ones have not even been written yet. And when they are written, there's a good chance that they could be completely different or a lot different. I'm not sure exactly how things are going to play out, but I like the first episode, what I've seen so far. I love the giant zombies. I love the, uh, I love how everybody's saying winter is here. They've been saying winter is coming for like what, six, seven years now. And now finally winter has finally actually arrived. I'd say that's pretty good news. It was a long wait. Who is your favorite Game of Thrones character and why? Feel free to write me at Daniel, end of days radio, at gmail.com. It's so funny because I remember when like nobody watched Game of Thrones. Now everybody does. When it was brand new. And now it's like my my plumber knows who Khaleesi is. I do have a few other things to talk about. I think one thing that I can say for sure, especially after talking to Stanton Friedman, is the nuclear threat is very real. I don't think there's any beating around the bush or denying it. Nuclear weapons are a big danger. Just hearing about some of those explosions, it's just mind-boggling. Oh, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm running a little short on time here. I put together my schedule badly. I have so many different things to talk about. I'm just looking over my notes, but I don't have time to get to everything. So some of this stuff is just, it's just going to have to wait until next time. Unfortunately, uh, I usually don't like to do a show that, that is this short, but I am running out of time. I do have one more. I do have one more letter to read and then we'll do our segment. Mind blowing moment of the day. This next Fan mail comes from Darnell. He says, Hello, Dan. Why do you play so much heavy metal? Do you like rap at all? Uh, yeah, I like rap, of course. Rap was very popular. It was going very strong when I was in junior high school. And in high school, I heard quite a bit of it. And I liked quite a bit of it. I wasn't one of... I wasn't like a rap guy, but I I would say I, I listened to at least 40% rap music. Uh, listened to a lot of Eminem. His whole thing was right there when I was in, at that age where you would listen to stuff like that. So I was really into Eminem, of course. I, I actually even started to dress like Eminem, and I bleached my hair, and I'd wear a white t-shirt, and I'd wear baggy pants and it's pretty easy to dress like Eminem. All you have to do is bleach your hair twice. If you have really dark hair, otherwise your hair will be orange. So bleach your hair, put on some baggy pants and put on a white t-shirt. And there you go. You look like Eminem. It's so simple. It's like that song, the real slim shady. 
it's so hilarious that he wrote a song about all these people that were dressing like little Eminem clones. But there's other rappers that I've liked too, like Jedi Mind Tricks. I'm still super into that group. Like anything they release, I jump on right away. Also, uh, you know, the, all the stuff that people listen to, like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Nas and Tupac and Brother Lynch Hung. Who are some other ones? Tech Nine. I think I listened to him before. Uh, Three Six Mafia. There's so many I can't even think about because there was a time period where there was just so much good rap music coming out. There, there is still good stuff. There's a local radio station called Cube up here in Seattle. It's ninety three point three, and I I listen to that quite a bit. It, it just depends what mood I'm in. But yeah, I, I like rap. It, I like playing heavy metal music on the show because I feel like it fits the theme. And a lot of people have this allergic reaction to rap music. I don't know what it is about some of my fans out there. They they hear something rap and they just you know it's it's just too different. It's they they've already decided that they hate it and they're not going to give it a chance. They're not going to listen to it at all. You know, it just sounds like talking. Like how are you performing music or singing or anything? You're just talking. That that's. That's what I'll hear a lot of times about rap. I, I just feel heavy metal kind of fits the show more. But I have played plenty of rap. I don't think that uh, I've shown that much of a preference, as you claim. The people that don't listen to the live show, they don't even listen to any of that music anyway, so it doesn't really matter. In fact, why am I even talking about this? But that does bring up an interesting point. If you, if you have some music that you would like to hear played on the show, send it to me. I'll give it a listen. Uh, I can't say that it's always going to fit the show or fit the theme or I'm always going to want to play it. I can't guarantee something like that. Of course not. But I can guarantee that I'll at least give it a listen and, and you know give it a try. But enough of that. And I'm going to have to come up with some music for this new segment. Like some little intro. Like, I don't know, some Bill Nye or something for the mind-blowing moment of the day. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what I'm going to use right there. I'll have to think about that. If you have an idea for a cool audio clip to start off this segment, then DanielEndOfDaysRadio at gmail.com. But the mind-blowing moment of the day, I'm going to go ahead and go with the stuff about Project Blue Book that Stanton was talking about, how they presented the findings in a very de- deceptive sort of way. They put a twist on it. They gave you some truth, but they twisted it to make it basically seem like there was nothing really to look at. Um, I'm not sure how many, how many, what percentage that I originally thought that the government said were UFOs after Project Blue Book. I think it was like they said 10% were, uh, they could not conclude or something like that. But from what we heard from Stanton earlier, Apparently, the way that they presented that information was highly skewed, and they presented it in a very deceptive manner, designed to designed to set the opinions of society a certain way, because they wanted all of us to look at this whole UFO phenomena a certain way, and they accomplished their goal, because that's where we were looking for answers. We were looking at the government. Hey, guys, tell us what's going on here. Okay, I, and anyways, I apologize to you guys so much for the short 
show. We do have another one coming up very soon and all kinds of shows coming down the pipeline. So I do apologize for the short show. I promise that I won't cut it this short anymore, but it is kind of early in the day and I do have some stuff on my schedule that I got to nail out as much as I'd love to sit here another hour. I do have a lot of stuff planned, but I'll have to go ahead and push it forward for the next show. Remember, if you like End of Days Radio, go to endofdaysradio.com. Subscribe on all the major services. Follow me on Twitter. That's at Ninja Shoes. And that's it. I'm, I'm so glad that you guys decide to make this program part of your day. If you want to donate, help keep the show going, go to endofdaysradio.com and click the donate button. You can donate there through PayPal. If you like MMA, pro wrestling, go to ninjashoes.net. Uh, still working on things over on that side of the pond. I've been so dedicated and focused on this show that I haven't really been working too much on my other show. I mean, I only have so much time in the day, but I, I am going to uh, find a way to make time for it so I can start working on that as well without sacrificing the quality and integrity of this show. I, this show's first. It's going to come first, so I got to gotta make sure that it's up to spec. And if you have any suggestions or if you'd like to be a guest or anything you'd like to say to me, if you have some fan mail, remember that's Daniel, endofdaysradio at gmail.com. I'm going to go ahead and sign out. This is the end of days, and I'm Daniel. I will see you next time. From the beginning. And I was shown that, um, uh, that Lucifer would return, that the UN and the Vatican were going to be completely behind it, again, under false pretenses. He's going to show up and say, I'm here to save the day, right? Uh, and, okay, fine, you know. Yeah, of course, ahead, you can say whatever you want. But I've always hated censorship. It's the internet. Sometimes, you know, once they get you for your first love bite, well, it depends on how aware you are, right? First of all, as you know, the uh, the Anunnaki and the Draco are enemies. Second of all, underneath Baghdad was a stargate that was created by the Anunnaki so that they could transfer from Jupiter to the Earth. I could just end it all, but the demons will have one. Practitioners that, you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were...
This is too much sometimes.